Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. England in pole position, but it wasn't exactly at breakneck speed. Nine points from nine for the three Lions in their World Cup qualifiers after victory over Poland at Wembley last night. Maguire made amends for a stone slip-up as he lashed home the winner on a night where Harry Kane made England history. And it may be the first of the month, but was the real April Fool yesterday, Gareth Southgate, who waited 86 minutes to make a substitution. Does the England manager even know his best team ahead of the Euros? Because the next 11 he picks will be lining up for the first group game against Croatia in June. We'll discuss the national team's latest exploits on today's podcast. And we'll also dive into the endeavours of a Premier League football agent. The list of agents fees for each top flight club has been revealed. 272 million quid has lined the pocket of those brokering the deals. We'll come on to that shortly, as well as gossip involving Tottenham's Son Heung-min and Burnley boss Sean Dyche. I'm Niall McCorn. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League-focused podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. And the two April Fools alongside me today, Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and JP Hughes. Hello, JP. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm very good. Are you a Scotland follower at all, JP? Are you Are you into your international football? Ah, of course, man. It's, it's uh, I'm I'm not one of these uh, these uh, Timberland boot kilt wearing halfwits that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that that travel down from the nether regions for a game every time. But uh, I think that that uh, national teams as a whole um, give everybody mm. in the country a, a real boost. So I, 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 absolutely, man. I'm I'm behind them 100. percent How did your side fare against the um, the whale murderers last night? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, it, it was it was uh, pretty much standard fare 
Um, they set up, they went about their business early on. They uh, they got a good early goal through John McGinn. Um, the Kieran Tierney uh, was probably man of the match um, mm. for, for for Premier League interests. Um, him and Robertson linked up well. It was good. Andy Robertson's come in for quite a lot of criticism recently. Interestingly, um, with, with Steve on today, um, with <laughs> Scotland for the for the standard of his performances and, and particularly his crossing has been just absolutely ridiculous. But they they, they scored. Uh, I think Tierney had three assists last night and Robertson had the other. A uh, couple of goals for McGinn. Uh, Shea Adams got himself on the score sheet. So it was it was a pretty professional job. You know that you're always going to dominate these games. I think what makes them uh, trick. It, it's all about how clinical you're going be in front of goal hmm. and uh, and they did a decent job last night so it was job done put it to bed and let's see where we get to but uh, I'm slightly more concerned with the two previous draws that went before it yeah similarly the Euros coming up for Scotland as well so it'd be nice to see England and Scotland do battle at that Aye. tournament well we're certainly <laughs> having watched last night we're certainly no scared of you boys now that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> well the March internationals have now ended which I think unofficially means it's time for the run-in and the Premier League does return this weekend of course we'll have a full preview of all the games in the top flight that take place across Saturday and Sunday on Football Social Daily but I suppose we better take a look back at the final game of this seemingly never-ending international break and it will be England where we focus as they secure the 2-1 victory over Poland last night at Wembley that puts the three Lions top of their World Cup qualification group for next year's tournament in the Middle East with nine points from their three games so far and after playing the worst ranked team in FIFA in San Marino and a slightly better Albania side no doubt Poland last night was the toughest of the three matches but England still picked up the win a late goal from Harry Maguire enough to secure it However, Steve, I'll come to you first. I saw you tweet about last night's game and you're struggling to get enthusiastic about watching the three lines play. Yeah, I just find I just find it really hard work, if, if we're going to be honest. I just think it, it's very difficult to get excited about it. And, um, and I just find them really frustrating, you know, when I do sit down and watch them. Um, because I think with the the dearth of, of riches in the England squad at the minute and certainly um you know plenty of competition for places in in most positions i'm like you know it just doesn't inspire me and gareth southgate i'm just like you know to be this far down the line and and to not know his best team his his best formation and the thing that i struggle with most is what style of football do england play what are england famous for you know do, and i just can't put my finger on it and i just i, I think that they have these little moments in games where you think, oh, that's really nice, you know, football. I mean, especially that um, little interchange with Mason Mount, Sterling and Harry Kane last night, you know, for the, for the yeah. shot. And absolutely fantastic. And you, you, But those those um, parts of the game are so isolated where England are concerned. And I just think that there's, there's more to be pulled out of that England squad. And I think... You know, I mean, I'm a bit bit older than you, obviously, as you know. And when I was going to um, the games at Wembley in Euro '96 and and England um, under Terry Venables, um, mm. the, the football was outstanding. And you know, they, I mean, they absolutely murdered a a superb Dutch team four one as as we know. Um, and it was just like you know, you knew what they were about and and what they were going to do when they come on the pitch. But this team for the for the players that they've got, I'm just not sure. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a fair point because similar criticisms were levelled at Gareth Southgate in England after the World Cup in 2018, JP, where everyone said it's a great achievement for England to reach a semi-final, which I agree, I think it is. But there are also concerns about the fact that England only beat Colombia and they only beat Panama and these other teams and Sweden and teams like that. And, you know, we never beat anyone half decent to get to the semi-finals um do you think that there's kind of a, a similar thread running through that narrative that kind of came out of the world cup in russia that's almost continued now even three years later absolutely man i, I think uh, i actually there was an article in the athletic this morning um just kind of um bemoaning exactly what you, you, you've just said there that this felt very much more like a an england performance at a major tournament mm-hmm. uh, the tension the methodical football that was risk averse, a, a team put on the pitch to control the game rather than try and dominate and and, and, and win it. Um, you, I mean, you're playing against a decent Poland side, but you are playing against them um, considerably weakened, um, without uh, without the main man. Mm. And uh, at that point, I think you you started to see tension come in, and then you see a mistake. You know, I, I don't think we can get away from the fact that both goals um, are inverted comma set pieces grant one's a penalty kick okay fair dues um, mm. you've got that but even the, there was even comparisons drawn with the way that uh, the Tunisia game at the last World Cup where yeah. it was a very similar winner where uh, I think it was it Harry Maguire headed back to, to Harry Kane uh, to, to, to nick that one and uh, and this mm. time it was Stones um, heading back to Maguire again they go a goal up you concede uh, a late winner so Real cause for concern, uh, if you were an England supporter, I think that, as, as Steve says, um, it doesn't look like they know the best uh, the, the best lineup. Even when I saw and I looked at the bench last night and I accept that you know players like Grealish and Rashford and that were missing, I wasn't inspired or excited by by who could come on to to, to inject something into the game. There was an awful lot of of mm. of above average footballers, you know, good players, but nobody that was that, that I thought there's your there, there's your catalyst um, sure. for a shift in tempo and change at this game here. So mm. yeah, I, I, big worries for me, man. If, if if I was an England supporter heading into the summer. It feels certainly like with this debate that's being had with Grealish and Mount and Foden and Madison and all these players that, you know, last night he decided to play Mount and Foden in the starting eleven, And I thought that Mount, as he always does, looked really, really bright and Foden looked decent as well. But I think if you kind of deploy both of those in the starting eleven, like you say, JP, you kind of feel like you want one of those to come off the bench to feel like they can, mm-hmm. in the final third, really get things ticking over and make things happen. But when you both start in them, when you're starting both players, it makes it difficult, I think, to, to kind of have that option off the bench. Anyway, it was a rare mistake from John Stones, which allowed Poland back into the game. Do you think that it's something as simple, JP, as just playing in a different shirt, Manchester City to England, that can bring on mistakes? Because it's not the first time Stones has made a bit of a, a mess up in an England shirt. Yeah, he's been prone to them, hasn't he? And there's certainly... Um, a mentality shift that, that that happens when you pull on a different shirt, and and, and I know that's my, you know, having played kind of international youth football and all that with your club and and, and everything as well. There, there there is a there is a slightly different mindset when you arrive there, whether you intend to have that or not. Subconsciously, it does um, come into the way you, you you start to behave, and maybe there are little moments um, where something uh, we saw the situation where Stones was caught with the ball last night. It's a scenario where he would ordinarily at club level maybe that instinct kicks in where you know there would normally be somebody in a position that he, he, he rolls that to they're not mm. there he gets that little split second of delay 
and he's instantly punished for it. So um, he's definitely got a wee bit of history. Um, I, he was unlucky, and I think you do have to give him credit for, uh, for, 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 for getting them back in the game again later on, because I do think it was an excellent header back yeah, to find yeah. Maguire. It was, it was really, really uh, well played to do that. But uh, yeah, look, when that white jersey goes on, there definitely seems to be something in the subconscious uh, of these players that, uh, that makes them a little bit more tense I would say in scenarios they aren't in club football yeah I think we've spoken about this before kind of away from the podcast haven't we Steve about the mentality of England it's something that transcends who's playing in the team it's something that kind of subsides through just general culture where you know when England get to a penalty shootout or it goes to extra time in the knockout stages of a tournament the fans are already thinking oh that's it we've blown it the nerves are just through the roof whereas you kind of see other national sides who've certainly the fan base and the supporters are a lot more composed when it gets to those situations. So even though, you know, England did win a penalty shootout in the World Cup and that was supposed to have shattered that stigma, it's going to take more than that, isn't it, to really get people on side to back this England team to to be successful in a major tournament? Because if you look at the quality that you've already pinpointed, Steve, there's no reason why England can't go the distance in the Euros. They definitely have the quality to do so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think as you were just you know putting the questions together then, I just thought what, what it feels like with, with England is that, and I'll come on to the extra time and, and penalties in a second, it just feels like they're always playing with the handbrake on, doesn't it? You know, they're always being kind of having the, the shirts pulled back and they never really let loose for me. And and I just, I would love a manager to come in one day. And I mean, I don't think Southgate's in, in any danger anytime soon. Um, unless the summer is a disaster, um, you know, when in a tournament that England should be wanting to win, really, um, I just think that you know they need a manager to come in and, and let them express themselves, like like Pep Guardiola does with the Man City lads, like um, you know Jurgen Klopp does with, with the Liverpool lads, and just go and kind of be aggressive, be on the front foot, um, you know, be willing to take risks. I haven't got a problem with John Stones' um, mistake last night, in in all honesty, because mm. I think when. When teams play out from the back like that, like like a lot of teams are doing now, certainly adopting the the, the Man City Liverpool model, um, that's going to happen now and again. And I just think that he recovered well. But for me, I just think these lads need to be let loose. Um, and I think that if they do play with confidence and and they do play with vigor and and they're not kind of constantly looking at the touchline for what Gareth Southgate wants them to do in a conservative fashion, I think you know they, they will get through this. This almost psych, um, you know, mm. uh, this this kind of almost head bl- block of the mind where they can go into extra time and go, you know what, we've got these, and you know, we're a fitter team than these, and you know, we can see these are starting to blow a bit hard, and you know, listen, lads, we can get through this. And penalty shootouts, I don't know what the answer is with that because obviously I know the lads practice penalties, but the difference between England penalties and say German penalties are very very different, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, well, the mentality of the Germans, I I remember reading an article about this, which really surprised me, but I suppose it shouldn't have done. Um, This mentality in the UK that the penalty shootout is a lottery, the Germans just can't understand that. Mm -hmm. How can it be a lottery? It's your responsibility and your chance to win the game for your team. It's, It's not a lottery, it's a chance. And I think it's that mentality which is different between those teams that are good at penalties and those teams that aren't. Anyway, we digress. Let's mention more about the actual state of the game last night, JP. It took Southgate 86 minutes to make a substitution. And it seemed like when I was scrolling through Twitter, every single person watching the game was just crying out for Southgate to to make a change, to switch something up. What do you think that 
was put down to? Why do you think it took him so long to actually make a change? It was, in fact, the minute after that England got themselves back into the lead through Maguire that he decided to finally make a change. There's a, a few things you could probably point this at, and, and I think uh, I'm, I'm making quite <laughs> rather large assumptions and presumptions here, but um, I don't think he trusts the players that he has on the bench. Um, either that or there is a lack of, shall we say, street smart, street smart and savvy about mm. Southgate himself. Yeah. Um, mm. I think if you... There are other coaches um, in world football. Uh, but one of the things I think that's interesting about this, right, is that um, I think I looked at it earlier on and I think it was Pope and Stones and Mount Phillips um, and I think there was a couple more as well who all made their third start in, his, in, what was it, six, seven days or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think there shows a lack of trust by Southgate and part of his, shall we say, for want of a better description, again, supporting cast and mm. putting them in those other games um, and maybe saving some of these legs because they did look tired. And, and, they are tired and, and I watched quite a lot of the international highlights last night as well. And it's right across Europe, the teams just looked shattered, you know. Mm. Um, star players looked really leggy. Um, and I think there's a there's a serious uh, lack of, of either trust in, in, in the supporting cast, if you want to call it that, or it's a it's a slight lack of, of, of savvy and street smart and how to mm. and how to deal with those games and manage those games through that period of time from Southgate because he just reverts back to t- reverts back to type every single mm. time and if you look at if you think about the last two winners of, of, of I completely agree England England have the the core uh, uh, assets and tools to, to to win this tournament in the summer. Um, it's not. It's a tough group. Don't get me wrong. You know, Czech Republic, Croatia, and, and and just the very fact. I mean, we're in it. We're probably going to be cannon fodder, but we're just going to make it as difficult for you as possible. Yeah. So well, that's a massive game, isn't it? No disrespect to Scotland, but aye. a nation of Scotland's size yeah. anywhere else in the world would probably not be a problem for England should, or anywhere else in Europe. But the aye. fact it is Scotland makes the game even bigger. Makes it bigger and makes it tougher and, 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 and arguably could end up England's toughest game of the three when, mm. when really we should be put to bed quite easily by all three of those sides based on a, a, a ability and squad. But if you think about the last the, the, the last two European winners of major tournaments, was it France in 2018, Portugal in 2016? Yeah. They were Street smart. They were savvy. Mm. They 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 had they had the, the moments of flair that were required, particularly by France in twenty eighteen, were produced. But the the, the game management and I, I'm sorry for using such a broad, vague term is that. But uh, the the use and the rotation of the squad, the dependability, the fact that even thinking back, you could probably name most of the starting eleven for both of those sides in those tournaments. Um, yeah. Yet where you are now with England, that's not there. So I, I think I think Southgate has a lot to answer for that that situation they find themselves in. I think that's a really key point, JP, because you know I actually think that France and Portugal, along with England, are probably the three favourites to mm-hmm. win the European yeah. Championships in the summer. If you look at squad depth for both countries, Portugal and France, it is frightening. But England have got the same. So, you know, is it concerning that Southgate doesn't know his best side, Steve, with the fact that the next team he does pick in a competitive game for England, that start in eleven, will be the first game of the group stages in the Euros against Croatia? I think it's a massive concern. I think that 
you know, I think some of the decisions that Gareth has made is, have been bizarre, and I've said that before on the pod- podcast, and I think that um, when when I'm going into the last competitive games before the European Championships, your starting eleven should be picking itself, really, obviously subject, mm. subject to injuries and um, and suspensions and whatnot. But I just think the fact that he's chopping and changing so much, I've, I obviously hammered him for you know the the exclusion of Trent Alexander Arnold because I still think he's England's best right back, um, and obviously I'm I'm a Liverpool supporter so I'll probably cop a bit of flack for for saying that, but <laughs> I just think that um, you know if he's got Jordan I fit Jordan Henderson in front of him in that midfield, there's no way mm. that um, you know Trent shouldn't start for England, and I just think that Southgate is is picking some players that um, don't necessarily mean that we will be in a position to try and win that tournament in summer. Um, mm. I mean, I look at some of the players that are starting and the experimentation. And I'm like, just commit to it. You know, just kind of go right. These are the lads that I am going to put my my kind of hat on that will get us certainly at least to the semi-finals of this um, you know, European Championships in summer. But he's not. And I think JP makes a really good point about him not trusting the bench that was there last night and um, which obviously you know led to him bringing three players on in what, the 86th minute or something like that. Um, yeah. uh, and I just think it, it's an absolute um, shambles in all honesty. And I just think it's summer he's going to have to address because if England don't get through that group in summer, um, there's going to be a major autopsy about mm. that. Well, England did win against Poland. They won by two goals to one. Harry Kane became a record breaker, scorer of the most penalties in an England shirt. He put England into the lead. Poland equalised after a mistake from John Stones, but Harry Maguire, after Stones made amends with a really good assist, headed it back to him and Maguire volleyed it into the roof of the net to make it 2-1. So job done in terms of the World Cup qualifiers for now for England. But what about the under-21s? They crashed out of their European Championship tournament, which is currently taking place right now. They still beat Croatia 2-1, but they needed to win um, by a two-goal clear margin in order to go through and scrape through the group on goal difference. It's been a stinking tournament for them. We talk about talented sides and stuff like that. They should be doing better. I mean, I think this is the best group of England's under-21s that I've ever seen uh, in supporting the national team. So I thought it was really interesting A.D. Boothroyd's comments after the game. He says his job is to get England's youngsters to make the step up to the senior team which I think is an absolute nonsense comment to make especially after you've just been knocked out of a European tournament what you need is to breed success amongst those youngsters Um, his contract's up in the summer he still thinks he's the right man for the job I personally can't see him sticking around Steve who do you think might get a better tune out of the group of under 21s do you think it should be someone who's maybe got a little bit more experience managing bigger sides in the Premier League let's say I think there's something in that. I think that England for the last 10 years on an under-21 basis have been absolutely wretched, haven't they? You know, considering some of the names that have, have gone through there. And I think that I was surprised when A.D. Boothroy got the job, in all honesty. Um, and obviously he's had two tournaments with England now and he's not managed to get a tune out of them. And I think for me, um, I, I think I mean, I don't think he'd do it, but I think someone like Frank Lampard might be a good yeah. shout for it. Um, he's obviously, I'm the exact same. I think yeah. he would perfectly fit yeah I, I think obviously it's not panned out at Chelsea because I think he was the wrong appointment and, and we said that at the time as well on the podcast um, we said that you know he was a bit too kind of green for it really and a bit wet behind the ears to take on the Chelsea job and um, I just think him going and doing a really good job with the under 21s and going away and continue to learn his craft by you know maybe going and kind of shadowing some of these top managers in Europe and stuff like that which is obviously quite a common thing in the game um, I think the under 21 role could actually suit someone like him um, 
and I think he could probably get a tune out of them players because of the mm. the stature that he's got and the fact that he won pretty much every honour in club football. Um, and he's been part of, you know, I think he played two or three World Cups for England, um, yeah. you know, and he's done the European Championships. He knows what being in, being in England is all about, but I don't know where Frank Zed's at after him getting sacked by Chelsea and obviously them, them continue, you know, looking to do much better under Thomas Tuchel. And... Um, I just think that the FA need to look at someone like that, really. Um, I mean, I think it's obviously a shame that Steven Gerrard is, is in a job from an England point of view, um, mm. because I think he Ooh. would be, he, he, yeah, because <laughs> I think that he would have been quite good for the twenty ones as well. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I'd probably say someone like Frank Lampard. I would absolutely side with that. I think Frank Lampard is the standout candidate at the moment, just with the way he, you know, utilised the young players at Derby and then didn't really have much of a choice but to kind of bring some of the youngsters through at Chelsea in his first season or so there. So yeah, definitely for me, I think Frank Lampard would be a great choice to manage the under-21 should A.D. Boothroyd part company I, with the young Lions. I personally couldn't believe it. I, I didn't know um, uh, that A.D. Boothroyd was the England under-21 <laughs> manager. And when I heard his name, I was like, what? A.D. Yeah. Boothroyd? Um, I mean, talk about uh, talk about a throwback um, in terms of the, the style of football not, that he favours and, and, yeah. and you're having to deal with this blossoming young talent. I mean, yeah. now you've probably got a, a, a greater insight and knowledge of English youth football than, than anybody else that I know with, with the, the commentary and stuff that you do and, and, and who you get to see at youth level and where they get to. But the, the, the big question I would ask when, when it comes to under-21s as it taps into something Steve said earlier, uh, what are England f- famous for? What's the philosophy? What's the strategy? What is yeah. the philosophy of, of of that England first team mm. that 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 you? Because I think that I think that the appointment of an under twenty one manager needs to be so in sync with the appointment of your of your head coach yeah. and the first team, so that so that this philosophy and this style is developed, so that the transition becomes much much simpler. But it breeds a winning style and philosophy of football that everybody can buy into from the top of the FA right down to the to, to the scouts on the ground. What's your take on it? Who do you think, and, and what, what do you think that the problem is? Well, it's not just philosophy, JP. I think it's continuity and synergy, two things mm-hmm. that you've absolutely just touched upon there. I mean, mm-hmm. what's the point of having a manager in charge of the under twenty ones who isn't in the same mould of Gareth Southgate? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gareth Southgate said when he first took the England job that the most important thing is to win first, um, which I understand because obviously qualifications on the line. But a lot of youth football I watch, the mentality is very much it's about performances and results should come second and results will follow. And I think you see managers in the Premier League nowadays very much on those lines. I think a Graham Potter at Brighton, for example, performances first and results will follow. Now, there's a, obviously a, a huge mentality in the game that football is a results business and it absolutely is. Um, but you can get results playing a certain style, but it does take time. And I just think that, you know, if A.D. Boothroyd's coming out after his side's been knocked out of an under-21 tournament and he's saying, oh, well, my job's to get players into the senior team, then you may as well just give up. Mm-hmm. Because what's the point? Because you need to have a, a, some sort of system in place because even though it works differently to club football, club football's far more tight-knit. And I think, you know, certainly it, it's a lot more fast-paced because you're on the daily. But you, you have to understand what, you know, what Gareth Southgate wants out of this under-21 side. Now, you know, it, it just feels like 
he is the wrong choice. But then again, you can kind of tie it back to what Steve was saying earlier. If Gareth Southgate doesn't really know his style of play, then, you know, what are we doing kind of levelling that at AD Boothroyd? So maybe it's a deeper problem for England than we think. Do you know um, what I point, think? Uh, do you know what I think about? I think about, um, you know, just sorry to interject there, but I just think that, you know, if you're in the Netherlands, for example, um, you know, when you sign for Ajax's academy, or if you sign for um, uh, you know Feyenoord or, or whatever, um, you know there is a certain style of football that you would encourage to play, and obviously, mm-hmm. you know people will um, you know give a nod to Johan Cruyff for changing the mindset of Dutch football and the way that he he you know played the game, and then obviously wanted to manage his teams um, as well. And I think, you know, if you look at like the Dutch schools, I reckon that they are all trying to play football in the same manner. Um, You know, I mean, it was called total football back in the day, isn't it? And I think what's quite interesting about it is that the Dutch national team keep having these generations that come through and perform. Now, sometimes, I mean, in, in, and, and in fairly recent times, we had one of the worst Dutch teams in, in a generation. And then mm. suddenly, they pull a load of new players in and they've got a handy Dutch team again. <clears throat> and I just think it's a, it's a mindset thing. So if you say, like, what are the Netherlands famous for? And it's for them wanting to play total football and having a really kind of, a, you know, attractive, progressive and, and penetrating style of football. Mm. And I think until England... You know, decide which way they want to do it. And yes, formations change and tactics change and game management issues, you know, present themselves in, in, in matches and stuff like that. But have a blueprint for, for playing a certain style of football and get all the, all levels of the national team um, playing that style of football or attempting to play that style of football and just be mm. fluid, you know what I mean? Because at the minute, we're just trying to win games. And having looked at England's last kind of 10 or 12 results... I mean, I think they've been beaten twice, haven't they, by Denmark and Belgium, that's it. And at which, you know, you look at it on paper and you think, oh yeah, it's actually really good. But it's so difficult to watch and and it's so uninspiring. And yes, they beat Poland last night and Poland are a legitimate, um, you know, um, legitimately decent European national team. But without Lewandowski in the team, they're a totally different proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that, you know, we, we've got to commit to a style and, and put a blueprint in place. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's good work that's gone on at St. George's Park. You know, there's no doubt about it since England moved there, um, you know, four or five years ago, whatever it was. But, you know, let's let's kind of let's adapt and commit to a to a to a, an ethos and, and a blueprint. Mm, yeah absolutely fascinating chat um it's been really interesting talking about england and the england under 21s and the future blueprints perhaps for what happens next for gareth southgate and his players well you mentioned the netherlands there steve there's a famous dutchman who's probably the most notable football agent on planet earth and its football agents we'll be talking about next here on football social daily Football Social Daily. find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your daily Premier League listen every single day of the season, of course. So hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode. Now then, yesterday, an interesting revelation was made, or at least it was revealed, the amount that Premier League clubs have spent on agents' fees in the last 12 months. In fact, it's 272 
million pounds. So we're talking over a quarter of a billion quid has gone into the pockets of those people brokering the deals for Premier League sides. The most profligate on agents fees was Chelsea, 35 million pounds spent, whereas West Brom spent the fewest on agent fees last season with 4.2 million pounds. These figures, JP, they're only revealed once a year, but this is the sort of thing I find quite interesting because when we talk about transfer fees, let's just say player X moves to Manchester United for 50 million, we always talk about the kind of the face value, the flat value of the transfer fee and not how much of that transaction is going towards agent fees. Is this something that should be made more transparent, do you think? So supporters and fans know where the money is going and the true value of the player because it's certainly something which is becoming more and more of interest let's say to supporters uh, as the years go on I can't think any reason why not um, any logical justifiable sensible rational logical reason why it, it, it shouldn't be because now you were fortunate last week not to be on the podcast with me on the Thursday um, Fergal was in uh, I, I think I think uh, Big Callum was on as well when I went off on my uh, left wing socialist rant <laughs> about uh, about football and sport in general being a microcosm of society and when uh, everything from uh, you know world uh, governments to governing bodies are as bent and crooked and the parasites uh, are, are eating it up and the pigs have their nose in the trough why should we expect football to be any different when these things go unchallenged uh, and when they are exposed uh, on, on a world society level, they are just shrugged off because everybody uh, that gets to make decisions is benefiting from it. I see the same here. Uh, I do think it should be transparent. I think it should be reported in every single deal. I think every single transfer deal, uh, especially those of significant levels of revenue, uh, the public should see where that money is going, the supporters. Um, and it gives, uh, I mean, apart from anything else, it takes a bit of pressure off the players. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're a £50 million transfer and you find out mm. that £25 million quid of that went to somebody else's pocket, all of a sudden uh, there's a slightly different uh, level of pressure on you to deliver for the minute you arrive. Um, but I, I just think it's disgusting, man. It makes me genuinely angry that these things take place mm. and, and that... The you know we talk about investment requirements for for grass level sport and listen take out the big society ills from it we know the benefit that sport and football has to society as a whole as an industry for the health of the nation for for the feel good factors that all come with it I'm all for that sport is a really really important part of the fabric of any society mm. and to think that these um, and pinstripe suits are sitting. Uh, with a hand in the in, in the cookie jar, taking that level of money out of the game, just makes me really genuinely want to commit physical violence. Um, but I won't do that. I'll simply show up on a podcast on a Thursday and have a bit of a rant about it. <laughs> I tell you what was really interesting. Some of the responses to this on social media, where I saw some really interesting takes. Someone said that agents only represent players and not clubs. So why mm -hmm. is it the clubs have to shell out the fee? Why don't yeah. the players? pay the agent for getting them the move yeah that that doesn't make any sense to me which i thought was a really good uh, point that was made i also saw someone defending agents steve which is understandable because there are plenty of them out there and people do need to make a living um they they defended them by calling them the earthworms of the football society you know kind of churning up the soil and getting players moving all over the place to kind of keep themselves in check do you think that you know agents get a bad rap 
uh, unnecessarily or do you think there is cause for some of the stick that they come in for? I think, I think there's absolute cause for some of the stick that they, they come in for. They are parasites and, and there's no doubt about that. And, and obviously, I, I, and I appreciate that it's a sweeping um, generalisation because probably they're not all the same. But I think what we're exposed to as, as football supporters of, of various clubs of, of various sizes is that you know we're ex- I mean we're, you know the likes of your George Mendes of this world, your you know Peenies are Harveys and your um, uh, what's the uh, Mina Briola who's who's a, mm. an absolute piece of work. Um, I mean I I read his um, interview with with Jonathan Barnett. Uh, him and Jonathan Barnett got interviewed by the Athletic this week, and I thought it was a really insightful read. And um, you know he, he basically he, he obviously went in on Pep Guardiola on it. Um, you know, big time, um, and um, obviously he he always brings up Sir Alex Ferguson were um, were possible yeah. because Sir Alex Ferguson was was less than complimentary about him, and yeah. and, and of course and... he's Paul Pogba's agent, isn't he? And for anyone that doesn't know, Jonathan Barnett is Gareth Bale's agent. Just yeah. to get that out there, and and he is as well. And isn't it funny that these players are always getting talked about for moves? Now, an agent, as far as I'm concerned, if they're earning like I don't know if it's if it's a Paul Pogba deal and Raiola's earning 20 million quid of it. Um, you know, I just think that to keep putting his name into the, the media headlines to try and engineer another move to get another massive payday out of it. You know, do these people actually have the players' best interests at heart? And I don't think they do. Um, I just think they're seeing an opportunity to get um, you know, even more money's going into the cookies yard as as, mm. as you know JP's just put it. And um, I think that that's a sad indictment of of the state of football at the minute because suddenly you, you know yeah. your agent for me is you know how are you getting on are you happy you know should it should I Jurgen it's it, it's whoever you know just having a little chat about you know where's where's you know Ryan up to in the squad you know he's he's not really getting many minutes at the minute is there anything I can have a chat with him about and stuff like that but it's not it's it's this Raiola character as an example who's just constantly talking to it and saying Paul Pogba this Paul Pogba that just trying to earn another fifteen twenty million quid for it mm. and I just think it is um, I just don't think the stick that they get is unjustified um, and I apologise to any legitimate and decent agents out there but the vast majority of them um, are absolute sharks and I think they are a stain on football what caught my eye JP was not the fact that Chelsea spent 35 million on agents because they spent 220 million on players so it's not a surprise that a fair <laughs> chunk of that's gone to agents but the fact that Chelsea and other clubs also pay agents for contract renewals so they actually get a little bit of cash to ensure that their player signs a new deal with the club that they're at which I did not know which means that every time you're seeing someone put pen to paper and they've got you know the scarf held up and there's a photo of them with their arm around the manager or shaking hands with the chief executive and they're there in the boardroom you know agents are getting compensated for that as well they're being remunerated for even the things in football that you kind of don't really pay much attention to you just think okay so and so signed a new contract but a fair amount of the money involved in that 272 million would be down to contract renewals as well it's mental isn't it and and, and it's it, it's you know first and foremost dial i'd just like to put myself forward as your agent when your uh, sports uh, social football <laughs> social daily contract comes up i'll do that negotiation on your behalf mate the hot young talent that you are um, but uh, I, I work in I work at the day job in the creative industries and the music industry, and yeah. uh, and, and and this is this is not an isolated incident. You know what I mean? Um, mm. There are these pigs have their nose in the trough all over the place, um, and, and 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 even as, as you mentioned there, the fact that that that, that comes down when uh, when there's renewals 
um, is just unbelievable because you know it, it, what makes it even more painful is that as you say the club is paying it you know that's the fans money not all the fans money don't be, I know that's only a percentage of a, a, a club's income and all the TV revenues and everything that goes with it but you, to, to think that you the, the, the money you're forking out um, you're working your fingers to the bone all year long to pay for your season ticket to buy your stuff and that amount of money is going out of your club towards agents fees who by the way let's you know okay they might bring the occasional star in or something like that happens but they, they don't identify it that you know the, the, the staff at the club identify that and bring that in um that your money is going into their pocket is just um absolutely disgusting that there was I mean, I could I could go on about this all day, but there's a there's a famous Hunter S. Thompson quote, isn't there, about the music business that it's a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. Um, he says there's also a negative side, um, but I think you could apply that to the world of football agents too. But I also think my my final point on this as well, uh, being someone who who played professional football for a very short period of time um, in, the, in the early 90s. The clubs have a lot to uh, to answer for here as well because of the way they used to treat players before uh, the Bosman rulings and everything else came in and then that power shift went to the away from the club to the player. Um, I mean, the, the contracts... I mean, clubs could effectively put you out the game if you didn't renew a contract with them. I, I was at Dundee United and there, were, there was these famous contracts... Um, called uh, 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 a 4 by 4 or a 2 by 2 and what it actually was is if you signed a 4 year contract there was a 4 year option on the end of that contract to extend but it wasn't your option it was the clubs they chose what happened at the end of that and if, if, if you happened to fall out of them or there was a disagreement they, they were clubs that, that I know clubs were famous for putting players out the game because they weren't getting away so the way they treated players and, and the way they ran amok and took advantage of these contracts in the past has come back to bite them in the backside the way things are now but no question it's gone way 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 too far and yep. uh, and, and it's a horrible horrible situation to do. but I, I do think that, that bring it right back to the start now what you said Transparency, and I think this stuff should be reported um, at every transfer above a certain level of investment. Yeah, I totally agree. I think football finances in general are far too clandestine, and especially after what happened to my club, to Portsmouth, when we, you know, tumbled down the divisions, couple of administrations, very, very nearly went out of business. I've naturally grown more interested in the money side of the game, and often accounts are buried, aren't they, at certain times of the year? Round about now, first of April, new financial year, and I know. A lot of people kind of they enjoy football for the entertainment side of things but I implore any true passionate football supporter take a look at your club's accounts the next time they come out and just try and figure out even if you don't know too much about business try and figure out how your clubs run because they can be very very telling about what the club actually says and what the club is actually doing with the numbers in front of you in black and white for instance you'll see how much has been spent on personnel in your latest club accounts if you take a look you'll see how many dividends the owner is taken out of the football club if that is to be the case and you might actually have your eyes opened a little bit to the way your football club is run I'm not saying start an agenda against your owners or anything like that but I certainly feel that football is still very secretive and I think we owe it to fans particularly as we see so many clubs now going bust and going under and going to the wall I think we owe it to supporters to be more transparent when it comes to football finances 100% agree but anyway 272 million quid spent on football agents fees in the last 12 months by Premier League clubs 
I wonder what Son Young Min's agent will be thinking if the phone rings from Bayern Munich, because we're going to talk about some paper gossip now. And this story from Football Insider, Steve, says that Bayern Munich are interested in Tottenham's South Korean forward. I can understand this one because Son is a very, very good player. And he's also played in Germany before. It's kind of where he t- cut his teeth in Europe's top five leagues. Is it just testament to how good a player Son is that we're seeing stories now that are linking him with some of the top clubs in Europe? Definitely. I think he's, he's, he's an unbelievable player. I think, you know, certainly the last couple of seasons he's really kicked on, hasn't he? And started to have a real impact in that Tottenham team. God, I, I remember, you know, when we played them in the Champions League final a couple of seasons ago, you know, he kept them in that game for for you know eighty minutes. Um, he was a pr- and, and Allison was far too busy. Uh, you know, for our liking, he is a wonderful player. And I think about that goal he scored against Burnley, which got goal of the season. Um, you know, where he's picked it up in his own half. He's beat about six or seven players and ended up slotting it in. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal talent. He's got a real engine on him. He's he's really committed. And and Tottenham have got an absolute gem on the hands there. In terms of the um linking him with Bayern Munich it, I just don't think it's a deal that I see happening um, I think the biggest issue that Tottenham have got this summer is the fact that Harry Kane probably wants to leave Tottenham this summer um, due to um, years of abject failure you know by by the team and by, and by the club um, I think you know he will be trying to force his way into a new challenge whether it be in the Premier League or whether it be in a, in a league abroad or something like that I, I think it'll be in the Premier League but I think that's what makes the the Sun talk a non-starter and and Bayern Munich have actually spent quite big already anyway they've signed um, Upper Meccano haven't they from, from Leipzig and um, and they've got another one in I can't remember who it is they've, they've signed um, uh, is it Hernandez is it from Atletico Madrid I might be wrong um, but they've, they've got another player lined up anyway and you think you know steady on by and you know it's it's not a bottomless pit there you know so I just think Son's going to cost them mm. anything between 17 and 90 million I reckon yeah I think it's a good point and I think the Harry Kane thing is what would be the sticking point I can't see Daniel Levy saying okay we're going to sell Son and Kane in the summer feels like mm. if it was going to be any it'd be one or the other or none unless the Bayern really are going to come with a big checkbook, but I can't see that happening. Um, 90 Minutes are claiming, JP, that Sean Dyche is the leading contender to replace Roy Hodgson at Palace. Of course, the Crystal Palace gaffer, his contract is up at the end of the season. I've seen someone describe this one as out of the frying pan and into the fire. Is that (laughs) harsh on Sean Dyche and harsh on the whole situation in general? Is that the pond that Palace are fishing in right now? As the perfect answer to the question, how do you make Crystal Palace even more boring than they already are? <laughs> um, and that's the only way I can think about it, man. Um, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I don't get uh, why you would move out Hodgson to bring Dice in. I don't get why Dice would move from Burnley to Palace. And I, I know Palace have, have, have kind of got a slightly bigger budget. It's not that much, but they, they, they do pay more in wages and stuff. So uh, the argument is you can attract better players. Um, put myself in the shoes of a Palace or a Burnley fan, you know, I, I, I mean, I, what a shrug of the shoulders this is for me, man. Just like, like who cares, man? Um, be, be like football wife swap. Just swap uh, aye, Roy aye. Hodgson. And you wouldn't be surprised if Roy Hodgson went to Burnley. Roy Hodgson went to Burnley <laughs> and then 
nothing changed and they, they, they occupied the same positions in the league next year um, there was no real difference in, in anything that took place I mean talk about a lack of ambition man and uh, and uh, you know right now I, I, I mention them all too often in this podcast I know Celtic that, that, that we, we're looking for a manager and, 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 and the word progressive is something that, that that comes back time and time and time again that we want to see. We want to see somebody with a vision that will take the club forward for, for many, mm. many years, lay the foundations. You know, a wee bit like we talk about that England under twenty one team and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, to me, I, this is a this this is this is a rumor. This is a talk that 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 just shows absolutely none of that. That is about consolidation. Stay where we are. The, the, the status quo for as long as possible and bloody hell man football's a sport come on man give us something to, to get excited about but <laughs> Sean Dice to Crystal Palace man I, I, man, I, I could not be less enthused about something if I tried well you mentioned Celtic Eddie Howe I think is topping the front runners at the moment in terms of the new manager over there at Parkhead so mm. I think there are a lot of Crystal Palace fans JP that were really keen on Eddie Howe being their new manager in the summer and it almost felt like to us here on the podcast like that was a given that Eddie Howe was going to bide his time. He can keep his family down south, not too far from Bournemouth to South London. Um, but making the move up to Glasgow is a big step. Do you think it will be Eddie Howe that will be stepping out onto the turf in uh, in East Glasgow soon? Well, all I can say to Crystal Palace is get your grubby little cockney hands off. I think it probably will. Um, the... Uh, we were very. There was a lot of excitement at one point that Enzo Maresca and his team from from Man City under twenty threes um, were going to be the people coming up to, to to take charge, and was bringing a full sort of backroom staff with him and all that. And all of a sudden, that excited a lot of people um, from where it was going to be. Um, other talk of, of of Premier League legends um, like Roy Keane and Frank Lampard, who I do know um, firsthand, have um, been interviewed about the job or, or certainly had talks. And uh, and I, and, I, and I, I've also led to believe that actually believe it or not, Frank Lampard interviewed very very well for it. But it does look like Howe's probably uh, the front runner now. It's, it's all gone suspiciously quiet. Yesterday, the head of recruitment um, and in inverted commas resigned. So it looks like it moves are afoot. Um, I would be quite surprised if, if, if how it did come up. I, th- I thought he would he, he would pick up another Premier League job faster than this. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if Palace are looking for a manager that if that actually became a more attractive option for him. It really depends what, he's, what his ambitions are as, as a manager um, and as a man um, because uh, there are obviously the the the, the, the week to week highlights. Um, of being in the Premier League and the high-profile nature that that brings, but then there's the opportunity to come to Celtic and actually win some silverware, play European football, which you're, you're very unlikely to get at, at Burnley um, or, or potentially Newcastle or Crystal Palace or anybody else that might be looking for a coach. So it's a, it's a tricky one. We'll see how it pans out. But certainly, if I was a Palace fan, um, somebody like Eddie Howe would would, would cause me much more uh, excitement than than Sean Dyche. What's your take then, Steve? Because as a Liverpool fan, you experienced Roy Hodgson's managerial style firsthand about 10 years ago. Um, I think that obviously he's he's the oldest manager in the Premier League. I think he is going to probably leave Crystal Palace in the summer. JP can't see the logic behind this decision to put Sean Dyche at the top of the wish list. Uh, are you in the same camp? I think so. I think that it's it's just, it's just a, another uninspiring move, isn't it? And I think that 
you know, Sean Dyche has got a tune out of Burnley for a number of years. Now he's done it on a relatively small budget and he goes to a club that don't spend a massive amount of money again. Um, so it doesn't really seem like there's any point because he'll just swap one mid-table team for, for another mid-table team um, or, or, sorry, bottom half team. And I just, I, mm. I just don't... I think... Sean Dyche, if, if you're going to be moving on, you've got to have eyes on something like, you know, you've got to be putting yourself in the frame for jobs like Wolves and things like that if they come up for me, you know, where, where there's a bit going on there or, or even the Everton job in, in the future. Um, I just think, you know, jobs like that is what Sean Dyche should be aspiring to. I don't think he'll get the Tottenham mm. job. I think if Jose goes in summer from Tottenham, I don't think he'd get the Tottenham job. Um, I think Tottenham would make a beeline for Brendan Rodgers if that happened. And I just think that, yeah, I think that I think Celtic's more more appealing than, than Crystal Palace, that's for sure. But um, yeah, a bit, bit, bit of a silly one, that in my, my opinion. Well, that's what the papers are reporting. Sean Dyche, the leading contender to replace Roy Hodgson at Palace. Of course, we'll keep a close eye on that one for you here on Football Social Daily. But let's finish off today's podcast with a bit of a laugh and talk about some of football's biggest shocks after North Macedonia, one of the newest countries in FIFA and indeed on Earth, I think. They beat Germany 2-1 last night. What a shock that was. What a surprise, but a great result for the North Macedonians. Why not discuss some of football's biggest shocks? I'll concede and say I'm rubbish at this kind of stuff and you guys have far more experience watching football than I do. So come on, JP. Are there any big moments in football history which stand out for you as perhaps the biggest shock that you can remember? Ah, you had to do this to me, didn't you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I brought Celtic up earlier on, so I'm going to have to suck this one up. Uh, you probably all remember the infamous headline in the Sun that Super Cali go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Um, <laughs> when we uh, when we had probably the most embarrassing defeat in our history, um, but this, it's a good one for a Premier League podcast because we do have Premier League links here to this one. This was back in two thousand. February 8th uh, and we were beat 3-1 by Inverness Caledonian Thistle at home uh, before they were the kind of um, the, the, the regularly featuring Premier League side they are now uh, interesting wee bit of history that Ryan Christie the Celtic player um, uh, Scotland International who I predict will probably end up in the Premier League this summer uh, his father Charlie Christie actually played for Inverness Cali that night uh, it was the game that got John Barnes the sack from Celtic um, infamously uh, Mark Viduka didn't come back out at half time because apparently he stormed into the change room, took his boots off, threw them at Barnes, and mm. refused to go out for the second half. But we also had uh, had some Premier League stalwarts or, or old faces in that Celtic team that night as well. Reggie Blinker, remember from Sheffield Wednesday? <laughs> that's what Celtic had an absolute Reggie Blinker uh, well, that, that night, didn't they? <laughs> that is that, to this day that is rhyming slang in Scotland for having a stinker. Um, Ayo Berkovic, remember him? I do uh, indeed. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Hartson's right foot certainly remembers him. Remember he like kicked his head off at training that time. And that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Mark Viduka, Mark Butchell, who went on and played for, uh, for for several English clubs there as well. So I need to get that one out the way Steve I'm sorry mate I'm going to have to uh, 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 poke your ribs as well with the with the crazy gang um, when Wimbledon uh, yeah. when Wimbledon yeah. done Liverpool in the FA Cup in 88 um, but seeing as how we were on an international week as well I thought it was quite uh, you know as we're heading into Euros and stuff as well two of the biggest upsets uh, that I can remember in international football uh, came there when Greece won the tournament in, in yes uh, and then, uh, and remember when Denmark ninety two? I mean, how mm. how incredible a story is that? To talk about football and upsets, winning a tournament you didn't even qualify for. Yeah, I uh, remember reading a Peter Schmeichel interview where he said he was lying on the on a beach somewhere, mm. and he got a phone call saying you need to 
get out of there, get your gloves and your boots because we're in the, the, the tournament and then they went on to win it. Unbelievable. Remarkable, man. And, and what, a, what a tournament they played as well. They were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And even John Jensen, remember him? Uh, even he was scoring goals, man. That was a guy that, 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 that literally passed out when he, when he crossed the halfway line uh, as a defensive midfield player before you know he's cracking in half volleys against Germany and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Steve, what about you? What, what's the biggest shocks you can remember? Well, there's been a few. I think that um, uh, obviously JP mentioned the the Wimbledon FA Cup final, which which I remember when John Aldridge missed the penalty in that. I was like, yeah, we're, we're not getting anything out of this today. But I think in in a couple of recent examples I could give you, um, I think when uh, MK Dons beat United four nil in the cup, mm. um, you know, I think that was in 2015, 16, something like that. Um, but I think you know we were talking about Roy Hodgson earlier on when he had a very brief tenure as Liverpool manager, and I think um, one of the shocks is when I was uh, I was in Anfield um, on a very very wet um, November night and we um, I was in the main stand at Anfield and it, it wasn't the main stand that it was now so we got absolutely drenched when Northampton put us out the cup do you know what the biggest shock I've probably had in the last two seasons came last year when I got a news flash through on my phone that Man City had been banned from the Champions League and I don't know why, but I was just absolutely shocked. I was like, oh my God, they've been kicked out of the Champions League because that's not something we've we've ever seen before. Um, but yeah, there's been some absolute belters over the don't years. Don't start me on that, Niall. Don't start me <laughs> yeah, on that. We, we won't, we won't. We could do another hour's <laughs> podcast if that was the case. Um, if you've got any big shocks that you can think of that we've completely missed out, I'm sure there's loads that spring to mind for you guys listening in, then get in touch with us on social media. At the Sports Social is our Twitter handle. You can find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. And if you go on to Facebook and just type in the search bar Sports Social, you can find us there. Just drop us a, a little message and let us know if there are any big football shocks that we might have missed. I tell you one just before you finish up there, mate. As well, one of the ones that, that I remember just a, a defining moment for me as well was uh, was the start of uh, the Italia ninety World Cup when Cameroon beat Argentina one 0 <laughs> um, as, as world champions getting that. Now the, the result was a shock, but what the, probably the biggest shock for me <laughs> that entire game was. Do you remember the run Cloudy Kinija makes from his own half and starts running through and he rides three insane rugby tackles <laughs> by the Cameroon guys? I think the biggest shock in football I've ever seen is that he managed to stay in his feet for about an extra fifteen yards after that. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about and you haven't seen it, go and check it out. Uh, Cameroon won Argentina now with the first game of Italia 90. Oh, you Roger could say, Miller. Yeah, Roger Miller. You could also say Ali Dia became a professional footballer, albeit for about 15 <laughs> minutes, but that's a bigger shock as any, I think. Um, thanks very much, JP. Cheers, Steve. Appreciate your nice time one. as always. Cheers, My name's mate. Niall. This is Football Social Daily. Don't forget, Premier League action returns this weekend. We'll have a full preview and review show for you, so make sure you hit subscribe when those come available. And uh, we'll speak to you again next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.